Um, but that would be kind of my general my general rule uh, or general advice would be you know keep keep three quarters to to four fifths. We're getting all kind of mathy today. Diz Runs Radio episode one thousand and seventy seven starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 it is that time once again where you ask, I answer a little a listener Q&A for the month of August is on deck. If you're new around here, hey, we do this every month. We do it on the last Friday, typically, I mean, and I think by typically, I mean, I think pretty, pretty rigorously. Is rigorously the right? Religiously? Is that the right word? I don't know. Pretty much every month, the last Friday of every month is dedicated to your questions my answers, and uh, obviously my answers to those questions. I'm not just answering other things. Uh, but hopefully, with a little bit of luck, there's actually something useful that comes out of these. Maybe you learn a few things. Sometimes they're about me personally. Sometimes they're about my ridiculous opinions on things. Sometimes they're actually practical, useful bits of it. I hope practical, useful bits of advice. But if you've been around for a while, you know how this works. If you're new around here, the best way to get your questions answered is to join the Facebook group. You can really send your questions any old way, um, but sometimes things get lost in the shuffle a little bit if they come via email or, or on one of the other social medias. But in the Facebook group every month, about a week and a half before this episode goes out, I put out a little post that says, hey, what are your questions this month? You reply in the comments with your questions. That way, they're all in one place. A lot harder for me to lose them that way. And uh, then we just kind of go through the list when it comes time for doing this episode. Answer the questions. Bada-boom, bada-bam. Nothing nothing more complicated than that. We we try to keep things simple around here. That's kind of uh, my my motto on a lot of fronts. Keep it simple. Don't, ma- don't make it harder than it needs to be. Um, so if you want to join the Facebook group, if you haven't done so already, looking to get some questions asked in uh, subsequent monthly episodes of the Q&A, disruns.com slash Facebook is the link. Or if you're on Facebook, just search for the Disruns tribe. Go ahead and ask to join. We'll let you in as long as you don't prove to be... Uh, we have a no douche rule, quite frankly. Uh, if you prove to be a douche, we'll kick you out. If you prove yourself to you know be a normal human... Uh, somebody who likes to have a little fun, talk some running, crack a few jokes, and basically is just not a douche. Welcome, welcome to our little corner of Facebook. Whenever you mosey on over. Anyway, enough of that nonsense. Uh, let's let's go ahead and do this, shall we? Let's let's kick it off. A decent chunk of questions today, although although maybe not quite as many as has been recently. So maybe this won't be a two-hour monstrosity. Although you know, I make no promises. This will go as long as it goes, and uh, hopefully it'll be the right duration. So first question from Rob asks, uh, next year, or a little bit of, of uh, background here. Next year, I plan to break into some ultra races, looking for a 50-miler. So Rob, you're not just breaking in. You're, you're diving in with both feet. I feel like 50K breaking in, 
50 miles and up. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a thing. But anyway, back to the question. I noticed a lot of people with poles as they go using trekking poles and ultra distance races. Do you have any experience with them or training people that use them? What is a benefit or strategy with these? Would they be only beneficial on crazy elevation races? Thanks. So Rob, I do have a little bit of experience with them. Um, not for my own race necessarily, but when I, when I paced Anna, when she, we, we talked to, to Anna Robbins, uh, uh, how long ago was it? A year ago ish. I don't know what the show number would have been. I guess, I guess, uh, 10,000, 10,000, 1077 minus about 104. So somewhere in the, uh, 970 ish range, um, after she did the, her hundred miler, um, about a year ago. And it was in the, the mountains of North Georgia, which is now no longer as big of a trip as it was a year ago for me to get there. But uh, we both had trekking poles. Definitely very useful. Lots of, I mean, mountains. Like, like we were going up and over serious, serious climbs. And um, in those types of situations, absolutely, it's, it's useful. Um, you know, just like, and I don't know how much I realized that because I'd never used trekking poles before then. I got them specifically for that, that adventure. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just like having something to kind of dig on a little bit, make it more of an upper body and lower body, a whole body experience for climbing some of those mountains. Um, there are times when your footing is a little bit sketchy on some, some rocks or roots, things like that. And there were definitely instances where I caught myself with my pole, just, just as, as a little bit of stability before my, my feet could, could sort themselves out on the, on the trail that we were on as well. Um, so for, for crazy elevation races, um, if you're going to do, do a lot of climbing, I definitely think that they would be helpful. Um, likewise, if you're going to do a, a, a longer ultra where you're going to be out on your feet and going for, um, longer. And I, I you know, I mean, everybody's going to be different in terms of what that distance might be, but I feel like, I feel like 50 miles, maybe not quite as much of a necessity. Not, I don't want to say necessity, but, um, I feel like at a hundred miles or, or maybe at, at duration, you know, you start getting into 20 hours plus where, where not only is just fatigue from running going to be a factor, but also fatigue from sleep deprivation going to be a factor. Um, you could definitely see some benefit from having poles, even on a flatter race, even on a course that doesn't have as much elevation, lots of elevation. Definitely. Um, flatter terrain more runnable terrain, but something where you're going to be out there for the better part of, uh, you know, 24 hours or even longer, um, also could see a benefit for them, you know, but if, if you're planning and I don't know what you are planning, Rob, so, you know, take this for whatever it might be worth, but if you're planning a 50 miler, that's going to take you, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 10 hours, you're probably going to be running most of it. And it's not super technical. It's not super hilly. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have your poles with you but I'm kind of saying I don't think you would need them as much. I don't think them, they would be as beneficial. Now, depending on the course, maybe if there's some loops and you wanted to, to you know, keep it in the, the drop bag for potentially using them later in the race, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that if you're doing something really mountainy or something that was going to take you the better part of 20 hours plus, 24 hours plus, um, those would be the times when I would strongly encourage you to get a little practice with the, with the trekking poles. Um, because like I said, climbing those, some of those mountains, um, like I, I was kind of surprised at how much of a difference it made it, like, quite frankly, supply surprised, um, at just, you know, just making it a whole body thing. 
but still be an upright. Like I wasn't trying to scramble, you know, but like being upright, having a little something to pull me while my legs were pushing me, um, definitely was, was something that was helpful. So course specific. Um, but yeah, if you know something, sometimes it might be something where, um, it, it can make a difference. And if so, you know, it's worth, uh, I mean, you can get, mine aren't like the greatest top of the line, but I think I paid like $30, 35, maybe $40 for them. Um, and they were solid, you know, they're adjustable, um, to fit the right height, um, lightweight, you know, and, and something that I'm, I'm sure that I'll be able to use, you know, for, for most of the next 10, 20, 30 years, not, not that I'm going to use them a lot, but when I need them for certain trails, things like that, I'm going to be glad I had them for sure. So hope that helps something to think about as you're looking into uh, stepping up into the ultra distances. Good luck with that, Rob. Looking forward to hearing how it goes. Next, we got Lewis chiming in with, with multiple questions this month, multiple serious questions and multiple fun questions. Somebody, somebody's getting a little, little overzealous with some of these serious questions, but anyway, I guess that's what this is for, right? Like, like we're not supposed to just be all nonsense here. We're supposed to have a little bit of, of, you know, maybe some serious information being shared. So the first serious question from Lewis, Denny, what is your opinion on tens units being used for recovery after runs? Um, so, you know, if you don't know what a tens unit is, it's a little battery, um, powered, um, kind of like electrical stimulation device. Um, and so, you know, it, it does different, it puts different, uh, electrical currents through the tissues, um, different settings for different, different goals, but recovery is certainly, uh, you know, kind of injury prevention or maybe not injury. Like, like we, we, we've used them. I used them in a previous life as an athletic trainer with my athletes for different injuries, soft tissue things to try to help speed up the, the healing process. Um, when it comes to recovery after runs, like, I mean, I suppose it would help, you know, if you, if you have one, if you, if you had one from the past, you had access to get one, they can be a little bit pricey to, to purchase. But if you have one, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think it's a bad thing to use them. Um, I don't, I don't know that I would say that you need to use it. And if you do need to use it, then, then I would question that maybe you're going a little too hard all the time. Uh, but if you're just using it after like really long runs or after like, you know, the occasional speed workout, I mean, sure, I guess like, you know, like, I hate to say that it's, that it's going to be, um, something that, that kind of borders on, um, placebo because it's not, there's, there's definitely benefit to it, but you know, just typical post post run recovery. Like, I don't think it's necessarily necessary in most cases, but that said again, I, I wouldn't say it's necessary to go out and buy one, but if you had one, if you had access to one that you could use for the price of batteries, like, you know, I mean, I don't know whether I would use one, but I'd at least entertain it, you know? So I guess, I guess the moral of the story is if you have it and you want to use it, go for it. I don't think it's going to cause you any problems. Um, but I don't think it would be worth buying one necessarily. Um, because they're, like I said, they're not, they're not cheap. Um, I mean, they're not they're like they're, you don't need to take out necessarily a second mortgage. Um, but, but I don't think that they're really, you know, like worth dropping a couple grand for one. If that's, if that's the going rate, which I feel like it, maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't even know. I've never priced one. I haven't priced one recently. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I guess use it if you got it, maybe. Um, but 
you know, our bodies are pretty good, at, especially if you're not like, if it's not an injury that you're dealing with, like if it's just post run fatigue, like hopefully our bodies are pretty capable of taking care of that on their own. Second serious question. And of course we got to, we got to throw a, a, a name into one of these questions. It wouldn't be a Lewis serious question if we didn't talk about some elite runner. I just found out that ultra running record holder, Camille Heron has been a run streaker since last July. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, okay. Like typically, you know, as, as has become standard around here, you ask me about a, a, an elite and I'm like, okay. I mean, I didn't know that she was a streaker. Um, when she was on the podcast, yes, I did have Camille on the podcast way back early days. Um, I don't think she was streaking. Certainly it wasn't since last July. So, you know, it hasn't been since that streak. Um, but like, sure, you know, whatever works for her. And I'm sure you're asking the question, Lewis, because you know where I stand on streaks, not a big fan of them. Um, but like Camille is not normal and I don't say that in a bad way, but like she's a beast and she's been running for years and her foundation is solid and like, yeah, she's, she's one of, one of, if not the best ultra runners in the world right now. Um, so like if that works for her, then, then rock on. But if you're, if you're like for us mortals, not just you, Lewis, but all of us, um, I, I think you're, it's a fool's game. If this, if this is your angle, and I don't know if it is. But if your angle is, well, Camille Heron is one of the best ultra runners in the world and she's a streaker. So why would you be pushing back against other, you know, other people that are run streakers? Well, cause you're not Camille Heron and you're not one of the best ultra runners in the world. No, no disrespect intended, but I mean, facts are facts, right? So, um, so if, if it works for her and, and she feels like that's what she needs to do or, or whatever, I mean, I'm not going to tell her not to, right? Like, like, and I would imagine, you know that she's probably not hammering every one of those runs. And like, there's a lot of pretty easy days, probably mostly pretty easy days. I, and I don't know, maybe not, maybe she's doing more solid workouts than I would anticipate, but like, you know, she's a pro and elite. And kind of like we talked about in a recent quick tip, like just because the elites are doing it doesn't mean it's right for those of us who are not elites. And this is not our full-time job. Although it may not even be her full-time job. I don't know. Maybe it is now when, when, when I interviewed her before, I know she was having a, a, another full-time job in addition to still being a pretty epic runner. Uh, maybe that has changed since then. But, uh, but yeah, like she's, a, she's not human in the most nice way I can say that. Um, so us mortals, yeah, probably don't just be like, well, it works for her. So it'll work for me. No, cause you're not her. You're not her. Now for a couple of funny questions from Lewis. First one, what is your score prediction for the Thanksgiving Day Thanksgiving Day game between mine and Tom Rankin's Bills and your Lions? Like I I, I don't know. I, I mean, are you really like are you really looking for NFL predictions for three months from now for twelve games from now? Uh, I mean that's ridiculous. Like that's just a re- like I don't know. 47 to 46 lions. Like, I don't know, like 107 to 12 bills. Like who knows? I mean, Josh Allen could break his, break his knee in the first quarter of the first game. And that would change the prediction. I certainly don't mean any, uh, you know, I'm not trying to cast any voodoo on, uh, the, the, the great hope of, of the city of Buffalo, but like the NFL, like NFL is an impossible game to predict, you know, for the next game. It, it, like it's, it's, you're a fool if you're trying to make serious predictions on, on games, um, you know, that are happening tomorrow and you know what the injury report is. You're, you're a 
beyond a fool as far as I'm concerned to, to like try to make a serious prediction for a game that's 12, 13 game weeks from now. Um, cause who even knows what the rosters are going to look like? Who even knows? Um, so yeah, I mean like, I don't know what the score, like who knows? It could be, it could be 10 to seven because everybody could be injured and you know, it could be, it could be, it could be nine, six, like stranger things have happened. I don't think that's likely, but you know, if, if Allen is hurt and DeAndre Swift is hurt and you know, like, like who knows, who knows? So, you know, I'll reserve the, the right to, to maybe make a prediction as that game gets closer, like during the week. Um, also, you know, like stranger things have happened than a team that we thought was going to be a Super Bowl contender struggling to be 500 and a team that we thought might be vying for the first round draft pick making a playoff run. So let's, let's let the season start a little bit before we start talking about predictions for games in November. Goodness gracious, bro. Like, I know, I know you want to like talk all the smack and that's fine and you can. And I mean, the bills are probably going to mop the floor with the lions. I mean, let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves, but like tap the brakes a little, bro. Second question. Also a tap the brakes kind of question. Second funny question from Lewis. Final question this month from my man. Uh, can you predict the Lions overall record this upcoming season? No, no. I mean, no. You want me to wager a guess? Sure. I'll wager a guess. I think they'll be, you know, I'm a Lions fan and, uh, you know, as, as is typical in Lions fandom, hope springs somewhat eternal this time of the season, you know, as in the preseason before the, before the games actually count, um, you know, and I think I think that if if the if things break the Lions' way, which they typically don't, so this probably won't happen. But if things kind of break the way of of uh, you know the hometown team, you know, I think I think nine ten wins are are possible. I think probably not making the playoffs, but being like at least on the screen with a chance to 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 you know still in contention in December is is possible. Um, I think you know. Five and twelve is possible too. You know, I think four and thirteen is possible. I think they'll be better than last year. I hope they're better than last year. Um, I don't think they'll still be looking for their first win in week, you know, twelve or thirteen like they were last year. Um, but who knows? I mean, it's 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 the NFL, man, and and like, oh, like it's it's impossible to predict. Because because things can change on a dime. One injury in week one or week seven or week twelve changes the entire complexion of the season. You know? So so who knows? Who knows? But we'll see, and I know you'll be, you know, trying to talk smack about the Bills being better than the Lions. Newsflash, if the Lions are better than the Bills this year, then <laughs> I don't I'm not expecting that. But like, you know, saying the Bills are gonna beat the Lions is like saying, Well, I bet if I fall out of boat, I'm gonna get wet. Like, yeah. Okay. Also, the grass is green. The sky is blue. The sun is yellow. Like, tell me something I don't know. I'm an Alliance fan, but I'm not a, I don't, not freaking out of touch with reality. Come on, man. Next question from Pam. Um, submitted via Instagram. So again, just, just pointing out that the, you don't always have to do the Facebook thing to ask the questions. Just, you know, better chance of me not losing it if, uh, if, if you don't submit via Instagram or Twitter, but it's all good. Pam's question. Have you ever had old Bay? If yes, my question for this month is how did you like it? And what foods do you think old Bay belongs on versus does not belong on? 
I feel like there's some type of layer to this question that I don't fully appreciate or understand, but that's okay. Yes, I've used Old Bay seasoning uh, to cook before. Um, like, it's fine, but it's not... With apologies to all you folks from Maryland and the greater Maryland area who apparently, like... You know, you're you're just issued a canister of Old Bay when you're born, or when you when you you know get your driver's license or whatever when you move into the state. Like it's fine, I guess. Eh? Like I don't even know what it would taste like. Like if you were to ask me to describe what Old Bay flavoring tastes like, I don't even know. It tastes like something. It goes on seafood, I guess. Like that's where you use it, right? Goes in the old uh, the old crawfish boil. Um, you know, when you're, when you're making shrimp or when you're making different seafoods, some chowders, things like that, you might use it like, okay, it's fine. Um, if I didn't have it, would I be like, oh God, I can't eat like, no. Um, you know, would I go out of my way to be like, I need to put old Bay on everything? (laughs) No. Do we have some in the cabinet and have I used it? Yes. So like, it's fine, I guess. I mean, eh. You know, if I have salt and pepper and garlic, like I'm pretty good with anything. Every once in a while, if I mix it up, I hit a little bam of, of Old Bay for some seafood stuff. Sure, I guess. Okay. Um, and I know all you, you Marylanders are cursing me right now. I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that, that it's bad. I'm just like, eh, eh, it's fine. You know, it's okay. Sure. Sprinkle it on. You, you know, when it comes down to it, you put Old Bay on whatever you want to put Old Bay on. I may not use it as often as and as liberally as you, but that's okay. That's okay. Thanks for the question, Pam. Hope marathon training is going well for you. All right. We got a block of questions from Candy now. We're going to have to come up with something here. I'm thinking maybe a, a cornucopia of Candy questions. And we get the triple alliteration. And we also get the fun distinction of having three different letters because Candy spells her name with a K. So we got the, the cornucopia sound with a C, Candy with a K, questions with a Q. Kind of works, maybe. I don't know. We'll continue to workshop it, but I think maybe we got a cornucopia from Candy here. First question. Actually, all the questions. I'm going to ask some non-running related questions. Hey, we're down for whatever questions you want to ask, Candy. It's it's cool. It's cool. How do you like Georgia? I mean, so far, so good. We've uh, I, I say we've only been here for like five days, um, or I guess a week as this episode comes out, because we closed on the house one week ago today as this episode is released. Uh, but I guess we've been here for about a month now. Um, but, but living in Airbnbs in, in Augusta was fine. It was fine. Um, but it kind of felt like, I mean, it was, it was Airbnbs. It wasn't a hotel, but it was all temporary, right? Like we didn't have most of our stuff. Um, you know, it was, it was very much just kind of Biden time. And yes, we were in Georgia and it was fine, but it didn't really feel like we were living here until we've gotten into the house. Right. Um, and now we've only been here for a week, so it's hard to, to draw any super firm conclusions, but uh, it's been good so far. I'm I'm enjoying it. I, I definitely think it was the the I don't know if it was the right move. I don't know. I certainly don't think it was the wrong move. Uh, but I think it's going to be a positive move. I, I think you know, looking back ten years from now, it would be like, yep, this was this was the right thing to do at the time. Uh, it worked out well. Um, you know, is it going to be perfect? Are there going to be some bumps? I mean, yeah, obviously, of course. Um, but so far, so good. So far, so good. What are some differences between uh, Georgia and Florida? Well, I mean, the hills. <laughs> Obviously, um, I, I think I looked at, at Strava the other day um, after maybe the first one of my first runs from the new house, and I looked at my typical normal route that I was running in Florida from the house in Florida in our neighborhood, and there was like forty feet of elevation gain over six miles. 
And like my first run from the new house, didn't even cover the whole neighborhood. Just kind of got, got like a 5k in. So just, just a touch over three miles. Um, and there was something like 360 feet of elevation, something, something, those numbers might be slightly off, but something in that, in that range. So for half the distance, you know, almost 10 times the elevation gain. Um, and it's not like these are mountains that we live in. It's rolling Hills of Georgia. Uh, but it's, it's Hills of Georgia. There's not a whole lot of flat in our neighborhood. A couple little, you know, where you crest one Hill before you start going down the backside. That's, that's the amount of flat that we get. Um, so yeah, at least from a running perspective, that's that's a big difference. Uh, that's a real big difference. But it'll be all right. I'm kind of looking forward to the extra challenge, even though uh, Kate would tell you that I complained every time we ran up some of the hills of, of Lakeland. In my defense, we actually ran up some hills in Lakeland, not like the sidewalk to the road, quote unquote, hill that was in my neighborhood. There are actually a couple of hills in Lakeland. Um, and yes, I maybe complained about them a bit vociferously, um, but I am kind of looking forward to, to, to the, the, the challenge of the Hills and training to hopefully make some of the races go a little bit more smoothly when there are Hills on, on race day. And it's not something that's kind of foreign to me in terms of going up and down. So we'll see, we'll see. How do you deal with this, this dang heat? Um, yeah, it's still hot here in Georgia. Although I will say, uh, you know, another difference from, from Florida and it's, it's weird. Maybe it's all psychosomatic. Maybe it's all in my head. I don't know. But like, I look at the, the weather forecast or, you know, the, the, the temperature on my phone in the morning. Um, and quite frankly, most days it's about the same as it is in Florida, you know, temperatures and humidities and dew points and all those things. I mean, they're within the margin of error of each other. Um, but it does feel different here. And Rebecca has agreed with me that it just doesn't, doesn't quite feel quite as oppressive at, 5.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, as it did in Florida. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's, like I said, it could just be that we're in a different place and it's farther north, so we're going to pretend like it's not the same. Um, but so that's been another difference. But how do you deal with the heat? It's still, it's definitely still warm. Um, but, you know, when it comes to, to running outside in the heat, like you just, you just kind of, I, I mean, I don't know. There's no silver bullet in how to deal with it. You just deal with it. Like it is what it is. There's no option. You just get out and go. Uh, try to get out early. At least that's always been, been my, at least that's been my go-to for the last five, six, eight years. Um, don't mess around with midday, afternoon, evening, as much as possible. Get out before the sun rises. It's still hot, but once the sun becomes a factor, like it's all, it's worse. So, um, you know, if you're dealing with the heat in your, your area, um, and you're not exactly enthused by it, I mean, you know, like what's the, I guess the alternative is to run inside, get on the treadmill. Uh, it's a non-starter for me, for sure. So it's just, you know, get out and do it. Make sure you're hydrating. Make sure you're being smart, taking care of yourself. Slow down a little bit. Some of those types of things. Um, but, like, in the summertime, it's going to be hot. And especially if you live in the south, like, in the summertime, it's going to be hot. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what you signed up for, right? But if you're if you're somewhere where it's just unseasonably hot for a week or two, hey, maybe that's, that's the time to just kind of pull back a little bit, give yourself a little grace. Um... Because, you know, you're not going to adapt in a week to being really hot. And then it's going to calm back down again. And then you can get back to your routine. You know, so you kind of do what you got to do. Last but not least from Candy, what do you miss from Florida and from Michigan? Um, not much, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, although I'm also not super sentimental. Like, I, you know, whatever. Every place has its pros. Every place has its cons. Um, from Florida, you know, certainly miss miss a couple of friends. Um, not that I had lots of, like, you know, I'm not, not super social, to say, to say it, to put it mildly. 
Um, but you know, having Kate to run with on the weekends, like, yeah, I'm going to miss that. Um, also miss Disney, you know, and, and just not that we went there often, but it was nice to just kind of, you know, go up for, for a day once in a while, or if friends were in town, you know, go up and just see them for a little bit, uh, crash their vacation a little bit, but, you know, see folks from back home, see folks from, um, other parts of the country that we've, you know, met or work with or meet through, through, uh, through, through this, through the podcast, through the social medias, whatever. Um, you know, had plenty of times where I've gone up to go run with folks who are on their Disney vacation. We go up and we run from five to six thirty in the morning, have a cup of coffee, head back and they go to the parks and, and but, but able to connect and do that type of thing. And obviously now you're not going to have that, that option as much. It's a little more of a commitment to go to Disney for a couple hours when it's a six hour drive, um, versus when it was a 45, 50 minute drive or maybe an hour and a half because of traffic. Um, what did I miss from Michigan? Um, I mean, family, I, you know, yeah, I got to say that. Right. But like, um, really the only Michigan thing that I really miss is, is fall, maybe spring too. Uh, I don't miss winter. Um, but I'm hoping, hoping that being here in Georgia, we might get a little more taste of fall and maybe a little more taste of spring than what we got in Florida. And if that gives us that, if that means that we have a little taste of winter as well, that's fine. Cause I'm, I'm assuming fingers crossed, it's not going to be a, you know, five month winter, um, like it was in Northern Michigan. Um, just, you know, maybe a, a few weeks, maybe a month, we, we can deal with that and probably not even quite as intense of a winter. So we can, we can deal with that, but definitely miss, miss proper seasons and hoping we'll see, hoping to get a little bit more of a taste of that here than we did in Florida. But thanks for the questions, Candy. Appreciate you. Hope you're, uh, hope things are well in your world. Next from, uh, the treadmill queen herself, Miss Desley chiming in. I pretty much never have followed a training plan and I haphazardly throw in speed work, long runs, rest days to my runs. Yes, still 100% on the treadmill, unless it's a race because you're ridiculous, but we still love you. Anyway, lately I've been doing all kinds. I've been all kinds of ambitious and throw in major speed work for the last 13, 15 minutes of my run. I, you know, bump the pace up a couple minutes faster than my easy pace. Um, back it up, pick it up as needed for the last 10, 15 minutes of the, of the workout. My question is how often is too often to do 13 to 15 minute speed work sessions? Also, for anyone who has never tried a treadmill speed session, it's so fun. 100% recommend trying it. Yeah, that last little bit, nonsense. Um, although, for like a tempo, I mean, you, you could make an argument that a treadmill could be good to just kind of lock in that pace and maintain it. Short repeats, I would I would fight you, Thessaly, that it's better on a treadmill than it is outside. I disagree wholeheartedly. But I'm also completely biased against the treadmill, so there is that. Anyway, back to your question. How often is too often to do 13 to 15 minute speed work sessions? So this is, this is a tricky question to answer because I'm pretty sure everybody will hear what they want to hear and lose all of the context and nuance that goes with the answer. So if you're looking for a, how, like how many times per week is that, you know, would be too often. I'm not going to answer that way because I think, I think we can all recognize that there's a difference between somebody who runs three or four times a week and somebody who runs five or six times a week in terms of what frequency might make sense, right? The more times you're running, maybe the more times it would be okay. If you're not running quite as often, like there's a difference between one time per week when you're running three times a week versus one times a week when you're running six times per week, right? Like, like we can see that math in our heads, hopefully. Um, so, so to your question, how often is too often to do some type of speed work, whether it's what you're doing, repeats, hills, whatever. Um, 
you know, I think I would default back to kind of like the, the percentage of total volume equation. Um, and we can make it 80, 20, we can make it 75, 25, but like, you know, something in that, in that range, 20% plus or minus of your, of your total training volume. Um, you can probably get away with doing some higher intensity stuff. Now I, I do much less than that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think less is, I think for me, I think maybe in general, you know, err on the side of, of doing less speed work than you could get away with because you'll still get the benefits but at a, at a lower risk. Um, but you know, if you're running enough where you could do, you know, a couple, a couple of those kind of bursts of the end of your run, um, during the week that it would still be, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 20% ish of your training volume, then you're probably okay. You know, if, if you're, if you're not, then maybe you do that every couple weeks. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's one longer, one shorter, like, I don't know. Um, but that would be kind of my general, my general rule, uh, or general advice would be, you know, keep, keep three quarters to, to four fifths. We're getting all kind of mathy today. Keep three, three quarters to five fifths of your training pretty easy. And then if you want to do a little extra pushing, whether it's one specific workout, whether it's a, a fast finish for, for multiple runs, like kind of like what you're doing, you know, that's fine. Just keep that in that, in that range of, you know, 20% ish. 25% maybe at the most. Um, and you'll probably be okay. Of course that comes with the, the asterisk of make sure you listen to your body. Don't force anything. If it's a little niggle cropping up, maybe you skip the speed sessions for a little while just to, just to allow your body to recover. Because a lot of times when you're pushing that intensity, if there is a little niggle, that's, what's going to set it off or have a higher likelihood of setting it off than just cruising at a comfortable pace. So hope that makes sense. Hope that you venture outside of the treadmill eventually even though we both know that you're just going to stick to the treadmill unless you're racing and that's okay, but I'm still going to give you a hard time for it. Thanks, Tesla. Good to hear from you. Next question from Nikki metatarsal pain caused by overuse shoes too narrow. Need to work on picking up pencils with my toes, AKA strengthening my feet. Um, how about D potentially all of the above, um, or maybe not all of the above, but all viable explanations. So it very well could be an overuse thing. It could be shoes too narrow. It could be shoes that maybe are, are worn down and there's not as much cushioning anymore. Maybe you, you just need a little bit more cushion to your shoes, which I, which I hesitate to recommend because I definitely fall under the camp of like wear the least amount of shoes possible, but maybe the shoes you're wearing are, are a little bit too thin. Maybe you need something with a, just a touch more cushioning. Um, and maybe there is something where you could do some toe yoga, some toe pickups, things like that to strengthen the muscles in your feet to make sure that, that everything's working functionally or working, not functionally, but functioning optimally. There we go. Working optimally in your feet. Um, and maybe that would be enough to, to alleviate the pain and the issues. Uh, but the last thing you want to do is just ignore it, keep pounding and potentially cause some type of stress fracture, something like that. Um, because that sucks, you know, so something to, to pay attention to, but each of those options that you suggested are viable solutions. Um, you know, so you kind of just got to play with, play with the variables, right? But maybe not all of them at once and see if you don't notice any improvement. And you might need to twist a couple knobs to get there uh, fully. But good luck, Nikki. Foot pain, never any fun. A couple other questions from Nikki. First one, what position did you play on your high school hockey team? Have you ever had the urge to find an adult league? So I was, I was mostly playing up front, uh, forward. Um, played left wing 
uh, for a couple seasons. And my, my senior year, I played predominantly at center, although I played, I played on the wing a couple times, uh, senior year as well. Um, but that was, that was it, you know, mostly again, you know, never really played defense, certainly never played goalie. Um, just up front, uh, it's not the strongest skater to put it mildly. Um, so you could, you could hide that a little bit more playing the wing, um, than at other positions. So that was where I was. Uh, the reason I played center my senior year, I mean, my skating got better. Um, but I was, I was really good at face-offs, like really good at face-offs. So, um, we took the hit on me being slightly less of a skilled skater because not, I don't know, eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, I could win the, the face-off. Um, so we, we at least would have the puck to start with, uh, which was useful. Have you ever had the urge to find an adult league? Um, not really. I mean, maybe just a little bit. Uh, but for a few years, um, a handful of years ago, I was, I was reffing adult hockey leagues. Um, and that was fun. That was fun. Uh, something I wouldn't mind doing again. Uh, but it's just like, got, kind of got to be too much of a time suck. Um, you know, it'd be lots of weekends. Um, so it'd either be at nights or sometimes in the afternoons. Um, and it just took, took away too much time from the family. So we, we, we backed off of that. Um, cause Addison was young and it was, it was more of a thing probably could get away with it now. Um, but I'm not sure that there's any rinks real close to where we are in Georgia. I kind of was trying to look at some options, um, and didn't come up with anything that seemed promising, but I'll keep looking, you know, if I can find a rink in Augusta or just across the, the line in, in South Carolina, um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see. Um, but as far as playing on an adult league, like I'm too cheap for that. Like that's, that junk's expensive. Um, but maybe down the road, I don't know. I mean, like I still like hockey. I like skating. I think it's great cross training. Um, but that's why reffing was nice. Cause I could skate. I got paid for it. Um, yeah. So that kind of ticked the boxes a little bit more and, and I didn't care who won. Right. Cause I, I wasn't, I wasn't invested in outcomes. I was just out there to blow the whistle, drop the puck. That worked out. That worked out. Last question from Nikki, old nagging neck injury, C1 to C3, longer runs, leave it sore. Any tips for strengthening the surrounding neck muscles? So my head doesn't feel so heavy. Um, I mean, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. You can do some like shrugs, some standing rows, things like that, that will work your, your upper traps a little bit more. That could help kind of the base of the neck muscles. Um, but other than that, maybe the best thing is like manual resistance training. So you just like literally would take your hand and put it against the side of your head and like push against it. You might not even really do reps. You might just kind of keep it static, do like an isometric strength training. Um, so you're just, you're just pushing with your hand against your head with the same amount of force. So it doesn't go, but those, you know, it's not moving anywhere, but the muscles on the side of your neck are definitely engaged and working. You know, then of course you do it the other way. You do it forward, do it back, um, and see if that doesn't help to stabilize some things, um, or strengthen the muscles in the neck to kind of stabilize your head a little bit and maybe kind of protect that old injury. But yeah, C1, C3, uh, injury. That's serious business. Um, glad you're okay. Of course, at least okay enough to be able to run. Um, but yeah, definitely doing some, some work on kind of some of the stabilizers and, and muscles on the neck probably would be helpful. Probably would it be helpful. Hopefully it would be helpful. Um, cause yeah, being sore after a long run, that's no fun. That's no fun. You also might, and this is a question that I think actually the next question, um, but there might be some type of, of posture form things that you could do, um, that could potentially, you know, like change the position of your head, you know, depending on if, if you're kind of leaning forward, 
getting a little bit more vertical so that the the head is is supported um, more vertically by the spinal cord and may take some of the pressure off of the muscles. Maybe that would help. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what 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 your posture looks like, Nikki, but that that could be a thing where if you are just kind of leaning forward all the time, which a lot of people do, in part because we're looking at our phones and our devices all the time. Um, maybe if you get your head squared up over your shoulders a little bit more over the, the, your neck for a more vertical load, that could help too. So something to think about may or may not have anything to do with your situation. Um, but don't want to overlook that. Cause that could be, that could be the key. You could, you could do all the strengthening you want, but if you, if you just, you know, are conscious about changing the position of your neck, just or your head, just a little bit, that could, that could be the key. I don't know. Good luck. But thanks for the questions, Nikki. Appreciate it. Next question from Chelsea. I was listening to this episode of the Run to the Top podcast, and they had Dr. Owen Everard on, and he pretty much said that trying to change your running form is pointless, aside from keeping your head up and shoulders down. So kind of what we just talked about with Nikki is a potential, uh, because your body is going to run in the way that it is most efficient at that time. I've heard this from a few PTs and running coaches, and I wondered what your thoughts are on it. I have noticed that running feels easier when I try to stop thinking about my form. Um, great, great question, Chelsea. And I'm kind of going to disagree, but not really, but kind of. So I think that, that if what you're doing, if whatever, I think that the point that you made in your question, and I'm assuming that the, the point that, um, Dr. Dr. Uh, Everard was making is true. I think it makes sense, right? Like, like if what you're doing is working for you and you're trying to optimize your form just a little bit, like you're probably not going to get much bang for your buck and it's going to be all kinds of conscious thought and conscious effort to like, you know, change, change exactly how your foot strike is or exactly the, the, where your foot lands. Do you heel strike? Do you, do you four foot strike? Um, you know, like in theory, if everything's going fine, like there's probably not much reason to change. Um, that said, when things aren't going well, when you're having injuries or when you're having niggles that may be associated with your form, then to me, it's kind of a no brainer to work on potentially changing that form. And I'm biased here because if, if, uh, you haven't heard this story, well, buckle up for those of you that have apologies. Um, but when I kind of started running a little bit more, when I started running, I had shin splints all the time. Uh, not all the time, but like I had shin pain after anything more than like four or five miles. When I was training for my first couple of marathons, I'd have like killer knee pain and shin pain. Again, anytime I got past maybe five or six miles. Um, so every long run, iced up, you know, swollen, never really diagnosed with injury. I don't think I ever like ran enough to get an overuse injury, but like every run after eight miles was, was painful after the fact for a couple of days. Um, to the point where I was pretty close to like, just saying, well, I guess this running thing isn't for me. And then I read something about heel striking versus forefoot striking. Definitely kind of realized that I was overstriding, which, which led to all my heel striding, heel striking, which to the, to, you know, just to make it clear, I'm not anti heel striking, but I'm anti overstriding and you can't not heel strike. If you overstride it's, it's biomechanically impossible. If you're heel striking, but you're landing with your foot underneath your center of mass, you're going to be fine. Um, but at that point I was just like, Oh, I'm, I'm definitely heel striking. Maybe this is a problem. And over the course of like a year or two, literally a, a year over a year, less than two. Um, 
I had to consciously work on changing my stride. So I was no longer overstriding. So I was landing more with my foot underneath my body. I focused a lot on being a, a, a four foot midfoot striker. Um, these days, I think I probably still am because it's kind of been ingrained. Maybe my heel gets in there once in a while. I don't know, but I don't overstride. I do know that. And not for nothing, but I haven't had any real shin splint issues. I've had very minimal, if any knee pain going on seven, eight years. So in that type of instance, you know, just to say that it's, it's pointless to try to change your running form. Well, no, because if I didn't change my running form, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing for a living. I wouldn't be running right now. All right. So if, if you think that if everything, so I guess long winded way of getting to your, to your question, Chelsea is like, yes and no. Yes. I think it's, it's pointless to try to change your stride. If you're thinking that this stride change is going to take you from a four hour marathon to a three thirty five marathon, um, simply because you know, you, you optimize this quarter of an inch of your stride differential or your, your cadence or whatever, like settle into what works, what feels right for you. If you're feeling fine as a result before, during, and after, like you're probably right. And the doctor's probably right. And, and a lot of people that say, don't waste your time trying to change your form are probably right. But if there's a, a strong likelihood that your form is contributing to some injuries, some niggles, some, some of those types of things, then like, yeah, try to optimize, try to make some over some massive overhauls. So we don't want this running thing to, to hurt us. We don't want this running because when it does, then it's not as much fun, you know, and you can get to start where you're running pain free. That makes running a lot more fun. So in those instances, yeah, change your form. If that, if that, if it looks like that would be the issue, right? Like, like just not every issue is a form issue, but a lot of issues are. So if we can work on it, maybe that makes sense, right? Hopefully that answer makes sense, Chelsea, but it's, I don't think it's a black and white. Um, but I do think there's kind of two camps where one of them, yeah, leave it alone. The other one, uh, no, let's, let's, let's address this, this running form and, uh, hopefully address some, some injury issues and concerns at the same time. But thank you for the question. Next from Rick, how do you measure a successful racing season? PR new distance, staying healthy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Rick. I mean, I think that all of those could be defined as a successful racing season. Um, I think that, I think that the key is to go into your racing season with your metric for success, right? Like if it's, if it's been a crazy, a crazy year, maybe your, your buildup hasn't been what you would normally like it to be going into whatever race distance that, that you might be racing, then de- defining success as a PR or nothing I mean, that probably doesn't make sense, right? Cause you're starting behind an eight ball and that, you know, that makes it a lot harder to get a PR. So why put that kind of pressure on yourself? Maybe it's, maybe it is, you know, because of that, maybe you're trying to step up to a new distance or maybe you're, you're trying to, uh, just stay healthy and have fun. Maybe you're pacing somebody out. Like, like, you know, there's, there's nothing that says that once you pick one metric, you're stuck in it. Right. Um, so, you know, each year, each season, each, each, you know, as, as you progress as a runner, maybe, maybe you stop even caring about your PRs as much. So then maybe it does become going longer or, um, whatever else it might be staying healthy, being more social, helping other people along. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's, there's multiple viable metrics for success when it comes to, um, whatever goals that we might have for ourselves as runners. Um, 
And I think that whatever, whatever matters to you is what matters to you. And that's how you would measure success. Um, and, and, you know, just like on race day, you might have two or three different goals. Maybe for a race, this is, you might have two or three as well. Maybe a PR is one of your goals, but then, it, you know, I mean, what happens if it's, if it's shitty weather one day, well, then that kind of throws things out of whack. So maybe you have another goal of staying healthy, of completing 85% of the training runs leading up through this, this, um, this training cycle, maybe 90%, maybe doing 80% of your strength training workouts or, you know, whatever, some, some of those other metrics of success that would be like, they would contribute to your, your odds increasing of a PR. But if it's, you know, unseasonably hot that day or unseasonably windy, or just, it's a downpour or whatever, where the weather would cause a factor, maybe you have a GI issue, which those, those can happen out of nowhere. Um, you could still say it was a, a successful racing season because you did all these other things that are much more in your control, you know? So lots of different ways to, to measure success. And I kind of like the idea of having a couple different metrics. So like, you know, if all falls into place, you have a PR awesome, but if all doesn't fall into place, you know, what else can you point to to say, Hey, this was still positive. I still move things forward. Um, you know, over these last four, six months and, you know, continue to build that momentum to the next racing season where hopefully things will fall into place better and you'll get that PR, you'll get that, that new distance or whatever it is that maybe you came short of during this cycle. So hope that made sense, Rick, but, but hard to give a, a, a proper answer because I think, I think multiple answers not only are, make sense, but might even be the right answer. I think it might be one of those questions where there's, you know, multiple, multiple correct answers. All right. Now we've got the Tom questions. The Tom trifecta. Here we go. When you warm up for a race, do you prefer walking or running? Sometimes I will walk and then do some dynamic stretches. Sometimes I substitute running for walking. Any thoughts? It doesn't matter. Seems like an okay answer as well. For marathons, I really prefer walking in my warm-up routine in order to save energy for the race. Um, Tom, I, I think that it doesn't matter is a viable option. I think that, I think that you're right there. Uh, but I think for me, it depends on the distance for the race and also on the goals for the race, right? Like, like if I'm trying to hammer, if I'm going for a PR, um, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to want a little bit more of an intense warm up, especially for a shorter distance race. Like if I'm going to PR, try to PR for the marathon, like, I don't know that I'm going to do a lot of running, but I'm definitely going to do my lunges and my leg swings and, and some type of, of walking around things like that. So that I'm, I'm ready to go, but I'm also going to like, I'm not going to try to go out too hot out of mile one out of 26, right? Like, so, so mile one, not that it's, it's like a specific warm up mile, but like, I'm okay with being a little bit slower than my goal pace for mile one and kind of settling in as that first mile, first two miles progress, because I've got plenty of time to make up whatever, 30 seconds, 40 seconds that I gave back on those first couple miles over the course of the next 23, 24 miles, right? If it's a 5k and you try to ease into the race for the first mile, well, there goes, there goes your PR, right? Like, that ain't happening. So for something like a 5k, if slash when I ever run another 5k to actually run it hard, like you better believe that I'm going to do some, 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 you know, some warm up jogging, some, probably some strides, some bursts, try to have my body as, as primed and ready to go because as we all know, racing a 5k, I mean, from the start, you got to be ready to go. So the longer the race, the less intense I would do the warm up. Just me personally. Um, again, if I'm, if I'm going to try to redline, like, like when I did a uh, celebration half earlier this year and I, my goal was to PR it, um, the, the walk from the car to the starting line was about, I don't know, maybe about a half a mile. That was pretty much my warm up. 
Um, I didn't really do any running. I, I did. I might have done some jumping jacks, some some lunges, those types of things. But then I just walked from the car to the starting line. Walked at a little bit of a more aggressive clip than I would normally walk uh, to just kind of make sure that I was loosed and warmed up and ready to go. But I also ran that first mile. I don't know what the pace was, like 930, something like that. And then the rest of my miles were like seven minutes pace. Um, so maybe I didn't pace that out perfectly, but like I also didn't try to just hammer the first mile. I eased into it. How's the body feeling? Oh, we're feeling pretty good. All right, well then let's go. And then locked in and, and went for it. So that's kind of how I do it. The longer the race... The less intense the warm up, the shorter the race. We got to be ready to go from the drop, um, and it kind of sounds like that's what you do as well. So I think I think you're on the right track. Next question also from Tom: What are some signs of severe dehydration to look for while running? I crashed hard in my April marathon due to dehydration, but did not notice until it was too late. I took on some fluids during the race, but clearly not enough. I am wondering how to identify dehydration before I hit the medical tent. Um, that's that's a tough question, Tom, because I don't think that there's a lot of real overt signs of like, you're starting to get into dehydration range. Like it's, it's it, to me, it's one of those things where it's a lot easier to tell after the fact, which kind of sucks because that's hard to remedy in the moment. Um, so I don't know that I have a real good answer for you. I mean, if, if you notice that you're not sweating, that's a problem. Um, potentially like life-threatening signs of heat stroke type of problem. Because if you're not sweating and you're out and it's, you know, obviously talking about not sweating when it's like, conditions when you should be sweating. Um, like that's a sign that your body can't cool itself anymore, which could be a sign of dehydration, but more likely it's a sign of system system overload somewhere. Um, and things just aren't functioning like they should, and you need to shut it down. Um, but I think, I think, you know, when it comes to trying to battle dehydration during, during a race, um, I think it's one of those where you kind of just have to be monitoring self monitoring not just for drink for thirst, although I think that's part of the, the something to keep in mind at least, but also just like, you know, what's your normal sweating amount ish? Like not that we need to be getting out the, the millimeters and, or milliliters and, and weighing ourselves and all those types of things. But like, you know, during your normal five miler on a Tuesday, how much you sweat, right? Like about like, you know, if you're, if you're in that range of like, I'm sweating a lot, I'm not sweating as much. And so if, if on race day, whatever the distance is, but if on race day, you feel like you're sweating more than you normally would, then you probably need to rehydrate more than you normally would. So if you normally wouldn't drink during a half marathon, but you feel like you're sweating a lot, well then, yeah, you might want to start drinking a little bit early in the race so that you don't fade too hard at the end and wind up in the med tent. Obviously, same thing applies for marathon, whatever. Um, and if it's cooler and it's, and it's, you know, you're feeling pretty good, but you're really not sweating very much then you probably don't really need to hydrate as much or at least certainly not any more than you normally would. And I know people get all worked up when you tell people you don't need to hide. Like I didn't drink a drop during my half marathon in, in January. All right. It was like 34 degrees. Um, I was not overheated. Um, I was sweating just a little bit, but I was also well hydrated leading up to the race. So in those type of instances, would stopping for a drink have, have helped me run any faster? I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. Not markedly. I didn't fade down the stretch. Um, but if I was sweating, you know, like crazy, well then, yeah, I'm going to drink more. Like, yeah. So I think, I think that's maybe the, the, not a, always the clearest sign, but something to just kind of be aware of is like, how much are you sweating? What are the conditions like? If it's hot and humid or hot and dry, but if it's hot, well then, yeah, you're going to need to drink more. 
even if it's not like super, super hot, but if it's hot for running. And remember the, the loose rule of thumb is at about 41 degrees Fahrenheit. Walker, that's about nine degrees, eight degrees, something like that in uh, Celsius. Uh, maybe a little less, maybe that's like six degrees. Um, but if it's in that, in that range, you know, somewhere in the, the high single digits of Celsius to low, low teens, or in that, you know, high thirties to maybe low to mid forties, like that's, what's classified as like ideal temperature conditions so that you're not going to, you really risk your, your risk of overheating is, is relatively low. So if you get a day that's 65, 70 degrees, you know, 18 to 20 Celsius, something like that, um, you know, like that's not hot, but it's also hot enough that for a two hour, three hour, four hour type of race, like, yeah, you're probably going to want to take some fluids in maybe not a ton, but some, so just something to, something to definitely be aware of. Um, but I apologize, Tom, that there's not like a real clear delineation. If X, then Y make sure you drink. Like if you're sweating more than normal, drink more. Um, take the electrolytes too. Don't forget the electrolytes. That's, that's important. Whether it's salt tablets, whether it's something that you're mixing with your, with your drink, whether you're a, a say no to potato chi- or never say no to potato chips on race day kind of guy, uh, just make sure you get some salt back in the system, especially if you're sweating a lot, especially if you're pumping a lot of fluids. Last question from Tom jumping on Lewis's coattails. Will there be a friendly wager for the bills lions game this year? I mean, sure. I guess like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what the terms are going to be. Um, but I'm also not going to just like, I'm not betting with my heart here. If we're going to, if we're going to make a wager, um, you know, there's probably going to need to be some, some points. I'm going to need some points, especially if, if, if things stay relatively on the, on the rails in terms of projections for the bills this year versus the lions this year, like it's not going to be heads up. Um, you're going to have to give me some points, probably a chunk of points to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm down for some type of wager. I don't know what, you know, report back on what the terms are. Uh, and we'll, we'll figure it out. We've got, you know, the reason I'm not giving any predictions on the game yet is because we've got, you know, whatever, three months until we get there. So we got time to come up with the terms, uh, but you better give me some points and, uh, we'll, we'll discuss as we go. Speaking of, speaking of our neighbors from the North, Brian Walker chiming in with some questions. Have you been watching the current season of hard knocks featuring the Detroit lions? I, I absolutely have been watching the current season of Hard Knocks. I'd never watched Hard Knocks before, um, but with the Leos on, with my man Dan Campbell, yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching. Um, I think I've got. I think I'm an episode behind, episode or two behind, um, but I'm watching it for sure and enjoying it. Like, like, ooh, I mean, it's like I don't miss working in the trenches as an athletic trainer, um, especially during like football training camps and stuff. Like, ugh, but like it is kind of fun to watch from the outside. And like I can remember it. I remember being there. Not with the Lions, but you know it's it's not markedly different with the Division One college um, nonsense, and and I don't miss it, but it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. So yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it for sure. Could the Detroit Lions make the playoffs that they played in the CFL? Walker, this is a ridiculous question, quite frankly. Not only would the Lions, not only would, not could, would the Lions make the playoffs if they played in the CFL, but they would be probably undefeated and they would win the great cup every year. Um, like this is, this is one of those, like, like every, just about every guy that plays in the CFL is not good enough for one reason or the other to make it in the NFL. Okay. Um, and I don't say that like, like 
disparagingly, like I'm not good enough to make it in the NFL. Not, I'm not good enough to make it in the CFL. I'm not good enough to make it in the, you know, flag football league. Like, no, but the talent gap between, and not for nothing, the lions are no longer the worst team in the NFL. Just so we're, so we're clear on that. But the talent gap between the, the Detroit lions or between any team in the NFL and any team in the CFL is huge. And yes, I know there's the, the, the size of the field's a little different. The rules, are a little, so that, you know, maybe it'd be slightly, uh, not quite an apples to apples comparison, but there's nobody that plays for the Argonauts or who are, who are some of the other teams? Uh, I know there's an Edmonton team. I know there's a, a Winnipeg team. I know, I know, I know just enough about the, the NFL uh, or the CFL. Not, not really that much, but I know a little bit, uh, but there's not too many guys that play in the CFL that would be like, no, I'll turn down the NFL to keep playing here. Cause it's better. It's a better league. Cause it's just not right. It's like saying, Oh, Alabama would beat, you know, the, the, the lions of the year. The lions were, were 0 and 16. No, they wouldn't. Alabama wouldn't score a point against the lions the year that the lions went 0 and 16, you know, not even close. Like you're ridiculous. If you think that, um, maybe not you're ridiculous, but you're just, you're misguided if you think that. So yeah. Could the lions make the playoffs if they played in the CFL? <laughs> yeah, they would, they would wipe the floor. They would wipe the field with just about every team in the CFL. Um, so yeah, they'd make the playoffs for sure. Last but not least, is there country music playing at the geographic Florida, Georgia line? I mean, probably like I, I, um, had my headphones on probably listening to Dave Matthews or an audio book or something. So I wasn't paying attention, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of country music around these parts. Not exactly my cup of tea, but I make it work, make it work. But thanks for the questions, Brian. Uh, hope, hope, uh, all is well up there in the North. Uh, Couple more, que- couple more. Well, I say a couple more questions. A couple more folks with blocks of questions because apparently that's a thing now, which is fine. You know, Tom's got his trifecta. Candace has got her cornucopia. Mona's got her her mass of questions. Gary Joe's got the hat trick. Those are coming up. Um, apparently, Brian and Lewis are getting into the multiple question game. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. But we've got just two two blocks of questions remaining. The first one from Ms. Mona. Uh, Mona says, how are you, Denny? How is the little one doing with the transition? I'm thinking she's super excited. I mean, she's, she's get, coming around. She was not super excited about moving. Uh, she still kind of has her moments of wishing she was back with her other friends and at school and blah, 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 blah. Um, but she's definitely starting. You can, you can tell she's starting to come around making some friends at school. Um, and we're excited. We haven't really made anything happen yet, but we're excited that some of her friends at school also live in the neighborhood now. One of them, we haven't figured it all out yet, but she lives, I mean, just, you know, next block over. We don't know which house is hers yet, uh, but just like the next block over. Um, so hoping that that's going to really be the game changer because none of her friends from school lived anywhere near us in Florida because it was a private school and people lived kind of all over the county. Um, and so nobody from our neighborhood really went to the school there. So it was kind of, you know, you had friends at school, but you didn't have friends at home. And now uh, we've got the opportunities to have friends from school that also live just across the street or just down the way. Um, and once that happens, I think, uh, I think it'll be, uh, nothing but nothing but positivity from, uh, Addison about the move, but thanks for, uh, thinking about us. And, uh, yeah, things are, things are going well. We're still getting into it with the transition, but we're, we're getting there. As for the, the questions, would you recommend box jumps or high jump training for runners? Um, yes, ish. So box jumps, jump training, any type of plyometric training is pretty intense form of strength training. Um, but it could be great for runners. 
even longer distance, even ultra runners, any, any distance runner working on explosiveness, working on power generation, like that's beneficial. However, if you're not currently doing pretty strenuous, pretty consistent strength training, don't start with plyometrics. Don't start with box jumps and things like that because they're just, you know, they're just massively intense and you need to have a good foundation underneath you. Just like when you're starting off with running, I'm going to always encourage you to start off with running easy pretty much all the time to build that foundation before you start mixing in speed workouts. Like same thing with strength training, work on body weight activity, work on doing things with, with resistance, you know, in addition to your body weight before you start doing explosive power movements, plyometric type of training, like box jumps and high jump training. Are they beneficial? Absolutely. You just got to have the foundation in place first to really maximize the benefits of those while also really mitigating the risk. If you don't have the strength, you don't have the coordination, you don't have the, the range of motion that you might develop doing just, just, you know, body weight and even with weights, squats and lunges, things like that. Um, you really could be putting yourself at risk of an injury by pun intended by jumping right into plyometric training. So, so yeah, do it, but when it's the right time, when you're, when you're physically ready for that type of training. Um, and that's the type of thing where a little goes a long way. Like you might be like, Oh, just five reps of, of this. Like that doesn't seem like much. Yeah. You'll feel it the next day though, especially if you haven't done it before. Um, because it's so intense because it's so intense. Uh, next question. Have you done an episode on iron for runners, ferritin level and all of that? If not, can I request one please? Um, I don't think I have. So yeah, consider it requested. Um, no promises on when I'll get to it because quite frankly, I probably only know just enough to be dangerous. And I'd certainly, if I'm going to be talking about that type of topic, that's a little bit more serious than some of the nonsense that we talk about for quick tips around here. Um, I'm going to have to do some, some more research and really kind of get to the depth of it. Um, and as much as I want to say, I could, I would love to do that right away. Like it just takes time to do that type of research. Right. So, uh, but I'll put it on the list. I'll put it on the list and see what I can come up with somewhat soon ish. Thank you for the suggestion. And uh, last question from Mona. What are your thoughts on Vivo barefoot? I remember running on sand for the week I was in Mexico and it developed discomfort in my shins. No foot pain though. What should a shoe transition look like? For example, like once a week for Vivo and then move it to two times, something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on. Like, so when it comes to shoes, you know, whether we're talking barefoot shoes or not, you know, kind of back to Nikki's question. I'm a fan of wearing the least amount of shoes that you, that you need. So some people need more cushion. Some people need more support in the arch, things like that because of injuries, genetics, strength and balances, whatever. Um, but I think that the, the least amount of shoes you can wear, um, gives, just gives your body more biofeedback availability, which is a good thing for the most part. Our bodies, you know, again, and kind of to, uh, Oh, Chelsea's question about form. Like if your body is getting their signals from your body, if your head is getting the signals from your extremities, from your feet, your ankles, things like that, um, getting that biofeedback, that's where it's really the most capable of making the adjustments and doing what you need to do. Um, if you get big pillowy shoes underneath your feet, that feedback loop gets interrupted a little bit. So the, the least amount of shoes possible, or the least amount of shoes, shoes that work for you is I think pretty good recommendation. Um, but if you're trying to go maybe play with more of a barefoot shoe, a Vibram or a zero or something like that, um, yeah, it would probably be good to ease into it. You know, start with one day a week, maybe a shorter run. You know, if you, if you're typically doing, you know, four five, six miles a week, but you have like Monday morning, you only do three miles, like start there. Um, just because it's shorter run, uh, less of a, you know, chance of, of maybe overdoing it, getting some of that metatarsal pain that Nikki talked about. 
Um, and then after that works out, then you maybe instead of adding a second day, you add it to a longer, you know, that, that five or six mile run that's on, on Wednesday. Um, and then, yeah, you, you just, you kind of really gradually build it in. Um, because it is going to be, you know, it's a little bit of a shock to the system, even if your form is good. And even if, if all the feedback is there, but like you go from something that's got some moderate level of cushioning to something that's got very minimal, um, that's just extra stress on your body. And if you just dive in to the deep end, the risk of developing an injury is going to be higher, um, than if you kind of ease into it and let your body kind of adapt slowly to the little extra stress of running on a shoe with no cushion. So, um, yeah, so uh, I think, I think what you talked about sounds about right. Um, you know, start with once a week for several weeks and then maybe two, twice a week for several weeks and give yourself permission to back off. If you feel like you progressed too quickly, or if your feet are just a little bit more sore cause you're up in the volume, something like that. Well then, you know, you, you, you bumped it up to two times a week, Well, maybe you bump it back to one and you go back and forth between one and two for a couple weeks or whatever you got to do to just progress nice and gradually, uh, and really give your body that chance to, um, adapt without breaking because that's what we're trying to avoid right uh, but thank you for the questions mona hope uh, all is well out west and last but not least i hinted at it earlier but my man Jer- gary joe got another hat trick of questions this week first one what are some signs you've seen in your running that have been pointing towards burnout and need- and the need to step back a kilometer or eight um for me it's always been um the joy of running and when I, when it's not there, when not only am I like, like, and I'm not going to pre- pretend like every day I just wake up and I am just so excited and can't wait to get out and get my five or six miles in. Like, that's just not the case. Um, but most days I'm not like dreading it. Right. Most days I'm not like, Oh God, I got to run today. Like, like, I'm just kind of like, I'm tired. Right. I'm, I'm still waking up. Um, but it's like, all right, you know, get, get, get the shoes on, get going, get out there. Even if I'm not super excited for it, I'm not dreading it. Right. Um, but if it starts to get to a point where like every day it's like, God, I just don't want to do this. Ugh. Um, and I'm not having any fun. I'm not feeling any better after the run than I did before the run. And that's a pretty good sign for me that like, all right, give yourself a couple weeks, take a couple weeks off, give yourself a little break, a little space. Uh, and that's usually enough. So, so to me, that's, that's my, my biggest go-to of when I start to, you know, maybe pointing towards burnout is that it's just, isn't fun anymore. And I'm not looking forward to it at all. And that's, you know, that's for me. Hey, don't force it, dummy. Back off, reset, come back in a couple of weeks, come back in a month, whatever. And uh, every time I've done that, by the time it's been go time again, I've been, I've been ready to go. So uh, yeah, if you feel the need to back off a little bit, back off, back off eight kilometers instead of one, like over, overkill the back off um, to hopefully get that full reset to where you're ready to go right away instead of like, easing back in kind of like, eh, eh, like, no, you want to be, you want to be champing at the bit to get back to it. Uh, when it's go time. All right. Uh, next question. What is the easiest way for a big goober like me to start heart rate training? It seems to work wonders. Um, I mean, big goober, small goober, medium sized goober. I feel like it's all the same, the same way It's get yourself a heart rate strap, figure out what your zones are going to be or what your, you know, what, what method of heart rate training you want to follow, um, and dive in. You know, I, I feel like, and, and this might seem a little bit trite, but I don't mean it this way. Like heart rate training is kind of like, you know, that whole, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the next best time is right now. Um, you know, the best time to start heart rate training was when you started running. Um, the next time, the next best time is right now. Uh, don't overthink it. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Get a strap. Cause that's going to, that's going to be much more accurate than your wrist monitor. Okay. Sorry. It just is. It's not my opinion. Like it's been 
been studied. Um, your 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 wrist watch, uh, your the, the monitor on your wrist, like it can be close, but it can be it can vary wildly. And so we want things to be fairly fairly accurate. So get get the heart rate strap, um, sync it to your watch, and then go and then go. And it might be a lot of walking. It might be more walking than you want it to be. You might have to really focus on slowing down a little bit to keep your heart rate from spiking. Um, but if you stick with it. It will pay off. It will pay off. I, and I'm, I'm confident in saying that it will pay off for everyone. You know, it just, it takes a while. It takes a while and it takes discipline and not everybody enjoys it to back to the first question. If it's sucking the, the joy out of your running, well then it's, then don't do it. You know, there's other ways to still make progress in running, but if you're able to find that you still can enjoy running while not pushing too hard all the time, keeping your heart rate in the right zone, um, you might start to not feel as sore. You might start to not struggle with burnout. Um, you know, like it can, it can be a game changer for sure. It's not, it's not for everybody, but it can be a game changer if you can commit to it. So good luck. Good luck. Final question. Well, I guess not final question, final question of the hat trick. And then, you know, we got to have a bonus question. Uh, if the day comes where you can't run and you take up some other kind of movement, what are you picking? Oh, um, I hope that that day isn't anytime soon for sure. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it seems like a, a big swing in the opposite direction, but maybe more strength training. Like, I don't know that I want to be like power lifter, but like, just, you know, like really getting into, into weights a bit more. Um, I mean, I don't think it would be cycling as much as I, I like the spin bike. I mean, I, I don't think I could just make that something I did five or six times a week. I don't think I would like road cycling, like outdoor cycling as much, which is, I know is ridiculous. That I hate the treadmill as much as I do, but I don't like riding the bike outside. I, I understand. Believe me, you're not the first person that's like, wait, how does that make sense? I don't even know how it makes sense. It is what it is. Um, like swimming is fine, but like, eh, I don't, I don't know that I could handle swimming laps. Um, I don't know. Maybe get back into refereeing hockey again. Like that, that could be it maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think strength training could be, could be a thing. I like to think it'll continue to be a thing with my running. Uh, but if I had to go all in, if I couldn't run anymore, I'd probably go, go a bit, bit harder into the strength training side of things. I think, I don't know. Hopefully won't have to, uh, have to make that type of decision anytime soon. Last question from Gary Joe bonus two minutes for tripping. Yeah, this is a, this is a tripping kind of question too, for, for the record, who wins the Super Bowl first, the Panthers or the Lions? Ay ay ay. Um I mean not the Lions probably. I don't know. Like so so this is one of those questions that there's that there's layers to, right? And, and maybe unintended layers. But like, you know, the Lions are what? 0 for 56 on getting to the Super Bowl 57 something like that. 0 for 0 for the entirety of the Super Bowl and getting to the Super Bowl. The Panthers on the other hand, and I don't know what the exact dates are. They're what? 0 for 20? Oh, I guess 0 for 25. They've only been around half as long. So like, I feel like you could make the argument that even if somehow lightning strikes and the lions win the super bowl this year, like the Panthers would still have 20 more years to win the super bowl to then still have say they won the super bowl first because it took them only 50 years to win it as opposed to the lions 58 or whatever it ends up being. Um, in terms of like just time, like starting from now, who has the best chance of winning the super bowl next? Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, Neither of them have good odds anytime soon. Um, 
I like Dan Campbell. I think I may have mentioned that already. Um, but I like Matt Patricia too. So, you know, who, 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 who do I know? I don't know. I, I recognize I don't know. Um, I, I feel like the Lions are trending better up than the Panthers right now. But maybe not. I don't know. Um, but let's just say neither neither of our teams are close to winning the Super Bowl. Lots of NFL talk today. Sorry for all of y'all that don't don't like sports ball and uh, football and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with I I'll go with the Lions. But that's just me picking with my heart um, because I don't think either team is 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 on knocking at the door of uh, Super Bowl aspirations. So uh, there we go. That is that. I don't think anybody added any questions while we were uh, recording today. So uh, let's put a bow on this one. And look at me wrapping it up in like an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. Who even am I? I don't know. But we'll take it. We'll take it. So y'all, thanks for the questions today. Hope it was useful. Any questions, any answers that you liked, any answers that you didn't like. Too much talk about the NFL. One way or the other. If you got feedback, I would love to hear it. At Runs on Twitter. At Runs on Instagram. Of course, you can also send an email to disruns at gmail.com. And if you want to see the memes and GIFs, answer just about every question with a meme or a GIF today in the show notes for today. Disruns.com slash 1077. Disruns.com slash 1077 is the link. We've also got a link in the in the blog post for today. To take you to the Facebook group. If you haven't joined the group yet and you would like to, come on down. Come on down. We'd love to have you. Just don't be a douche and we'll let you stick around. Uh, but if you want to just point your browser there, disruns.com slash Facebook. Or just search for the Diz Runs Tribe. The next time you're on Facebook, come join the party and uh, you know be on the lookout for that that question, that post asking for your questions next month. And feel free to chime in with one question, a block of questions, or uh, whatever makes sense for you. So uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, y'all. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the attention. Thanks for taking us with you today. If you got a friend that might like this episode, or a running friend that uh, maybe you'd be like, hey, you know, maybe you'd like this clown. Uh, from now from Georgia used to be from Florida originally from Michigan Uh, check it out hit that share button always appreciate when you do that until next time y'all be well take good care thanks again for listening and uh, we'll talk soon all right later y'all